0: I love the song. I love the very personal nature of the invitation, right? Come and see. Come and see what God has done for you and for me. Come and see what God has done on Calvary. So powerful, so personal, so appropriate for a service like this. For before we can come and see what God has done on Easter, we must come and see what God has done on Good Friday. I want you to take your Bible and open it to Luke chapter 23, if you would, Luke chapter 23. We are continuing in our study of the gospel of Luke, and we're actually going to begin reading this morning in the text that Lloyd taught last week uh, surrounding the death of Jesus Christ when he breathed his last on the cross. So Luke 23, pick it up with me if you will, in verse 44. Luke writes, It was about, it was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two and Jesus crying out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus dies on the cross. And then Luke, the writer of this gospel account, he, he does a very interesting thing. He begins to line up witnesses, eyewitness accounts of Jesus's death. That's what we have in 47, 48, and 49. The first we see is a centurion, a Roman officer that was stationed at the cross, who, when he sees what happens, when he sees that Jesus has, in fact, died, it, It says that he begins praising God and praising God and declaring that Jesus is, in fact, innocent. The word there means righteous. He is the righteous Son of God. And then verse 48, we see a shift in the crowd. The crowd who had come to see a spectacle, when they saw that Jesus had died, they began to regret what they had seen, even began to regret what they had done. And then in 49, we see a group of women who have accompanied Jesus from Galilee along the road to Jerusalem, and they are there as eyewitness accounts as well. Now, note how Luke continues this theme in our text for today. Pick it up with me now in verse 50. And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, He had not consented to their plan and action. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. It was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes and on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. When we go all the way back to Luke chapter one, we see that Luke makes very clear why he wrote this gospel account. He communicates his purpose for it. And he says, I write that you might know some things about Jesus Christ that are for sure. What is it here that Luke wants us to know for sure? Well, he wants us to know that Jesus Christ is really dead. So dead, in fact, that he would send Joseph of Arimathea to bury him. It may sound silly to us, of course he's dead, but why is Luke going all this trouble to provide evidence for that fact? Well, it's because while most of us in this room actually do believe that Jesus died, we don't often think about how important it is that Jesus really died. We, and I'm including us, me, as the pastors and leaders in the church, we like to emphasize how important the resurrection is we like to celebrate that. We're quick to go there. We want people to know it for sure. All of which is important, right? Even necessary. All I'm saying is that we are much quicker to go there than we are here. Can I tell you what the apostles throughout the New Testament, can I tell you what they emphasize? They emphasize Jesus' death. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, of first importance is this Christ died for our sins and he was buried. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he died, he, Christ, died for all. The book of Hebrews, it is through his death that we are saved. Paul to Romans, Romans chapter 5, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. The apostles over and over and over again, we believe that Jesus died. Why do they emphasize it? Why is that so important? Because if you take away the death of Jesus, you take away everything. See, no death no resurrection. It seems obvious to us, but we don't often think about it. Jesus had to die before he could be raised. No Easter Sunday without Good Friday. No resurrection without the crucifixion. No empty tomb unless it was filled by Christ. No death, no atonement for sin. Ever since Adam and Eve walked in the garden, ever since Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden uh, fruit of the tree, ever since they did that, death, just as God said it would be, has been the inevitable, unavoidable result for all people. When Jesus is buried in the grave, his sacrifice for our sin is complete. When the stone is rolled in front, sealing off the tomb, our sin, it's sealed off forever. Why? Because the penalty has been paid. The price has been paid. For the wages of sin is death. The only way to satisfy the wages of sin is by dying. The wages of sin are satisfied by the death of Jesus Christ. J.C. Ryle writes this, if Christ did not really die, that would be the end of the gospel ever bringing any comfort. Nothing short of his death could have paid our debt to God. His incarnation, his sermons, his parables, his miracles, and his sinless obedience to the law would have been to no avail if he had not died. The penalty which the first Adam was threatened with, was eternal death. If the second Adam had not actually died in our place, as well as taught this truth, the original penalty would have continued in full force against Adam and all his children. It's Christ's lifeblood that saves our souls that Jesus really died, it really matters. And it matters so much, because it matters so much, Luke and the other Gospel writers, they, they go to great lengths to put any objections to rest and to help us to know it for sure. And I wanna show you just five places that I see that in the text this morning. Five ways, really five people or groups of people who, in Luke's account and in the coinciding gospel accounts that overlap with Luke's story here today, in those gospel accounts, these people, they attest with certainty to the reality of the death of Jesus Christ. We're gonna look very briefly at each of these and then we're gonna take some time at the end of the service and even with the devotional this week to, to sit with the death of Christ, to sit with the indescribable impact of it on our personal lives, okay? Number one is this, Luke says here in verse 52 that Joseph went to Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus. Let me give you the broader context just for a moment. It's late in the day on Friday, somewhere between 3 and 5 o'clock. The Sabbath day begins at 6 o'clock in the evening at sunset. This Sabbath day that is coming is also the Passover feast. It's, It's a very important Sabbath day. And this day, this Good Friday, up until sunset, up until about 6 o'clock, was the preparation day. That's what we see in the text. It was the preparation day for the Sabbath and for the Passover feast. When Joseph of Arimathea, who is a religious leader and a member of the Sanhedrin, we'll talk more about that in a moment, when he comes to Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus to prepare it and to bury it, when he does that, there's a group of other members from the Sanhedrin who are leaving Pilate's quarters. And they have been to see Pilate because they have some concern about the impending Sabbath, which is going to begin in just a couple of hours. They're concerned that the Sabbath will be defiled by the men still hanging on the cross. You see, they want to make sure that those men are dead and their bodies are disposed of before the Sabbath hits, for that would be a defilement and it would break the Sabbath laws if those bodies were still in public view. So they've gone to Pilate and they've asked that Pilate send word to his soldiers stationed at the cross and, and to say to those soldiers, would you break the legs of the three criminals each on a cross and break them such that they would not be able to push up off the platform that they are standing on and therefore catch their breath. In other words, would you break their legs so that they would suffocate and die more quickly? Pilate's granted this request. And the Gospel of John, this is where it overlaps with Luke, Gospel of John says that these men, these soldiers, they go and they break the legs of the criminal on Jesus' left. They break the legs of the criminal on Jesus' right. And when they come to Jesus, they see that he is already dead, so they do not break his legs. See, as it pertains to our text This morning, the first to attest to the reality of the death of Jesus Christ are in fact these soldiers. And Jesus is dead. And they're so convinced of that reality that they don't even carry out the order from their governor, the Roman Pontius Pilate. That's a risk no soldier would take unless the criminal were truly dead. This is their profession. They know a dead body when they see one. But just to be certain, they go a step further. John continues and he tells us that they take a spear and they stick it up into the side of Jesus. And and when they do, blood and water, a mixture of blood and water, immediately pours out of his side. Another indication of death. In medical terms, the fluid that came out mixed with the blood is lymphatic fluid. It's housed in the pericardium that protects the heart. When the pericardium breaks, when it bursts, that lymphatic fluid flows out, the heart is left unprotected and doesn't function anymore. Uh, Jesus is, in fact, dead, and the soldiers confirm it. Uh, The second to attest to this same reality is a centurion, a, a Roman officer. When Joseph asks Pilate if he can uh, take the body down, prepare it, and bury it. Pilate has not yet heard back from the cross as to if Jesus is, is dead. So he summons a centurion. We see this in John as well. He summons a centurion. Centurion comes to Pilate. Now remember, Pilate, he's been a part of this day from the beginning. He, he started the day with the trial of Jesus, he has been a part of the day all throughout the day, all the way to writing the sign, the king of the Jews that hangs above Jesus' head. And Pilate knows what's at stake here. Not going to allow anyone to do anything until he's absolutely, positively for sure that Jesus is dead. Summons a centurion. Centurion comes back to Pilate's quarters. Joseph is there and he makes the pronouncement, yes, Jesus is in fact dead. And that's when Pilate releases the body to Joseph. Okay. So soldiers, the cross, the centurion that Pilate summons. Uh, number three is Joseph of Arimathea himself. He goes back to the cross, lowers the cross to the ground. He pulls Jesus' hands and his feet gently over the heads of the nails. He takes the thorns out of his brow. He begins to clean the body. He cleans away the blood and the sweat the dirt and the tears. Then he begins to wrap the body with strips of linen cloth and he sprinkles of powdery fragrance in between each strip. And this is where Luke's description of Joseph of Arimathea becomes very important to the text. Luke calls him here in verse 50, a good and righteous man. The word for righteous there, it's a Greek word that is the same word that is used by the centurion just a few verses earlier in verse 47 when he looks at Jesus right upon his death, right when Jesus breathes his last and he says this man is innocent, he's righteous. It's referring to the righteousness of God. That same word is used by Luke to describe Joseph. This is a man of faith who although he was a part of the Sanhedrin, Although he is a member of that religious elite Jewish council, he, he did not consent to their plan or to their action. Interestingly and atypically, in the scripture and the gospel accounts, all four gospel writers pay attention to this man, Joseph of Arimathea. Why? Well, because his faith stood in such stark contrast to the group that he was identified with and because he played such a significant role in attesting to the death of Jesus Christ. Mark tells us that not only was he a member of the Sanhedrin, but he was a prominent member of the council. He was a leader among leaders, respected, influential. He was smart. He was educated. This is a man who could tell if someone was dead. And this is the man who spent the largest amount of time with the body. And as he handled the body, he wasn't wondering if there was any life in it. It didn't even cross his mind. And he wasn't alone. The Jewish burial custom did not include embalming. It was just as described here strips of linen cloth and intermixed with scented oils and perfumes to offset the stench of decay. John tells us that Joseph was joined in this moment by Nicodemus. He's number four. Nicodemus is with John. Uh, Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, some 75 pounds of this mixture. It was an amount fit for a king that's who these two men believed that Jesus was. They emptied the entire contents of that package upon Jesus' body. They emptied it on him, And, and you might remember this about Nicodemus. Nicodemus is the one that came to Jesus in the middle of the night. He came in the middle of the night so he would not be seen by his peers talking to Jesus. It's likely that Nicodemus was a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin as well. It's found in John chapter three. He comes to Jesus, middle of the night, he has some questions for Jesus and Jesus in the context of this dialogue, he invites him to consider being born again. Would you, would you like to be born again? Spiritually reborn, new life in Jesus Christ. He, those of you who know the story remember this, Nicodemus, he's, he's troubled by this invitation. In fact, so troubled that he leaves Troubled. He leaves undecided. And yet here we see him again at the end of Jesus' life. First time we've seen him since. And this time it is to attest to the death of Jesus and to affirm his faith in the man that he's burying. Joseph and Nicodemus, they, they take the body and they place it in a tomb. Matthew tells us that they roll a large stone in front of the tomb, sealing the tomb and sealing their testimony of Jesus's death as well. And and then finally, number five, we find this group of women. They were mentioned in the text before. We see them again. Again, these are the women that have uh, uh, ministered to Jesus along the road to Jerusalem. These are friends of Jesus. They've followed him uh, along the road. They're from Galilee. And Luke just simply says here that they see all that takes place. They watch, they see, they pay attention to all that happens. They saw Joseph take the body off of the cross. They They saw Joseph and Nicodemus prepare the body for burial. They saw those two men take the body and place it in the tomb. They saw, in fact, how Jesus was laid in the tomb, and they, too, were so convinced of Jesus' death that they returned home to prepare more spices and perfumes for the body to participate in the burial. And it's likely that Mary... Mary, the sister of Lazarus, there's some other Marys in this group, but it's likely that Mary, the sister of Lazarus, was a part of this group of women as well. You may remember that that Mary, the sister of Lazarus, it was in her home that Lazarus died. Jesus was called for, and Jesus did what? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Mary knew that if there was any chance that this man could be alive after this kind of a day, Jesus was that kind of a man. So she watched closely, close enough to see how they laid him in the tomb, and close enough to see if Joseph and Nicodemus crossed his arms over his chest or simply let them rest by his side. And it was only when she was satisfied. Only when she knew for sure that she left to join in the burial preparation. You see, Jesus really died. Luke leaves no stone unturned. Roman soldiers, those at the cross, the centurion, the Pilate A Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, this group of women, they all attest to the same truth. He's, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead. He's dead. He's dead. He's dead there's any question about what Luke wants us to know, it's answered. The silly argument that Jesus was in some mini coma and when he went into the tomb, the coolness of the tomb, it revived him. The ridiculous notion that Jesus really didn't die, that he didn't really die, that, that objection is crushed. And with it, our sin. So Jesus died. We know it absolutely. We know it with certainty. We know it for sure. One more observation before we leave the text. It struck me that Joseph of Arimathea is described as a man who is waiting for the kingdom of God. He's waiting for the kingdom of God, and then, of course, in the text, he spends his time preparing Jesus' body for burial. He's waiting and he is preparing. And then it struck me in the text that the group of women at the end of the passage, they, they go to prepare some additional spices and perfumes for burial. And then they wait on the Sabbath before they return to the tomb. They, they are preparing and they are waiting. And all of this, Luke makes very clear, is on the preparation day. And it just struck me that that is exactly the opportunity that you and I have this week to wait and to prepare our own hearts, to wait on what we know is coming to prepare well by sitting with the death of Jesus, to prepare well by doing just what Joseph, Nicodemus, and this group of women did. And that is to embrace the reality of Jesus' death on the cross. It's to embrace that. See, I'm convinced that if we will sit with his death long enough this week, his death will speak volumes in our own lives. And Joseph was waiting, waiting for the kingdom of God. And I am convinced that he found it in the person that he laid in the tomb.
1: From Luke 22. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and said to them, this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me and in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten saying this cup is poured out for you it is the new covenant in my blood
0: And he came out and proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will but yours be done." Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground.
1: Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. O my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and they were delivered. To you they cried out and you delivered them. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men, despised by the people. All who sne- see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag their heads, saying, Commit yourselves to the Lord. Let him deliver you. Let him rescue you, because he delights in him.
0: Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and a roaring lion.
1: I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me my strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws and you lay me in the dust of death for dogs have surrounded me a band of evil doers has encompassed me they have pierced my hands and my feet i can count all my bones they look they stare at me they divide my garments among them and for my clothing They cast lots.
0: From Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 20. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept on calling out, saying, crucify, crucify him. And he said to them a third time, why, what evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. But they were insistent with loud voices asking that he be crucified. And their voices began to prevail. And Pilate pronounced sentence that, de- that their demand be granted. And he released the man they were asking for, who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. But he delivered Jesus to their will. When they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country and placed him on the cross, or placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. And following him was a large crowd of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him.
1: when they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by, looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself if if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, this is the king of the Jews.
0: It was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed. His last.
1: And a man named Joseph from Arimathea went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb.
0: Our great God and King, silent we sit. Help us to remember. Help us to reflect. Help us to know the reality of your death. How important it is. How significant it is. No greater love than this, than Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sin. Paying the penalty that we deserve, offsetting your wrath. Thank you seems insufficient, but we say it. Empower us to live it as we leave. It's in Christ's honor In his name, amen.